So, Ben, you're saying Wayne Newton does not have it anymore. Well, either Wayne Newton does not have it anymore or the engineers at Allegiant Stadium did not do <laughs> Wayne Newton favors. But the <laughs> national anthem at the Vikings' first preseason game against the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday, you could hear the choir that was backing Wayne Newton up like it was the Super Bowl just fine. Uh, you could not hear Wayne, Mr. Las Vegas, uh, terribly well. And there was like one part where you could and he sounded fine. But most of the song, you could barely hear him. And that might have been a, a mixing issue more than it was Wayne. Um, but, yeah, it, it wasn't great. So you, you could have thrown in every broadcaster's favorite line in the preseason, which is it's preseason for everybody. It, it was. <laughs> it certainly was preseason for the sound engineers or for Wayne Newton's vocal cord. I'm not entirely sure which, but I think it was probably a mixing issue. But, uh, yeah, very, uh, very strange way to start the year. I mean, we've seen some – some doozies of, of national anthems from from music legends in the last few years. Thinking back to Aretha Franklin going five minutes or whatever it was, the national anthem uh, Thanksgiving Day in Detroit, to the point where you're watching the countdown clock before the game starts, and it's like, oh, we're going to start this game late because of Aretha Franklin. And then you're kind of just like, it's Aretha Franklin, just let her go. But, uh, yeah, we, we've seen some uh, – some unusual. Didn't we just talk about this a couple of weeks ago? The anthems we've seen that we liked, or no? Well, no, 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 no. We I think in the in the spring we did kind of we talked about stadiums and road venues and that kind of stuff. I don't know if we yeah. talked about the anthems. I, think um, I talked to somebody recently. Maybe it was just a friend that asked me about this. I don't know, but the the Aretha Franklin one led to one of my favorite TV graphics of all time, in which Fox put up their time of possession in the first quarter, and it was like Vikings three minutes. Lions, two minutes, Aretha Franklin, five and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't uh, recall that a barn burner to start after Aretha <laughs> brought the house down. Anyway, we have plenty to talk about with the Vikings wrapping up two weeks. There is football being played. Uh, we have plenty to talk about with the Vikings wrapping up two joint practices against the 49ers on Thursday morning. They practiced Wednesday and Thursday after the Sunday preseason opener in Las Vegas, where the aforementioned Wayne Newton did not crush the national anthem. We'll see who's leading out the national anthem on Saturday when the Vikings take on the 49ers in the second preseason game. So we'll get to takeaways from the joint practices, uh, talk about some different position groups, um, and then what we're expecting to see in this 49ers game coming up, who or who we aren't expecting to see, uh, depending on how these teams are approaching uh, these preseason reps. But starting off, Ben, you wrote about Kellen Mond for Sunday's game, for Sunday's paper, I should say, right before that game. And then he went out there and did some things that, you know, we really hadn't seen from him in training camp. We talked about how up and down his camp was. And then in the joint practices against the Niners, uh, we saw Kirk Cousins look fairly decent. You know, he did throw a pick in one of the team sessions on, on the first day, but uh, we saw more of the same from the backups, more of the ups and downs. I don't know how much the Vikings can feel comfortable with their options right now when you just aren't seeing any kind of stability out of those backup positions between either the 30-year-old veteran and Sean Mannion or the second-year guy in Kellen Mond. So what have your impressions been of Kellen Mond's week so far, Ben? Well, you would have liked to see him probably come out of that first preseason game and build on it. I mean, see him kind of do some of the things we saw in the second half and, and make People say, okay, there's some development, there's some progression, 
there's a little bit of consistency here and we can find something to build on. We have not seen that this week um, quite to the degree that you'd hope that you, that you would. I, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of been a lot of the same stuff that we've seen in practices before now. And um, it, it just kind of makes you feel like we're not entirely there yet. If, if he was consistently showing that he can process the offense quickly and make throws on schedule, do the things that we saw him do in the second half of that game on Sunday, you'd say, okay, this is our guy because he's young. He's under team control. He's somebody we can develop, maybe make the starter at some point, or at least have a decent option behind Kirk Cousins. But I just don't know that we're quite there. And Saturday will be interesting to see how he does with that chance again, because you saw flashes in the second half, but the first, the end of the first half was a lot of the stuff we've seen where he on that third down, it's a three man rush from the Raiders and he's dancing back and forth and eventually uh, throws the ball behind Tristan Jackson and throws it out of bounds. And I looking at the end zone replay of that, the end zone cam, if go back and watch in the games, they showed the broadcast of it, showed it fairly well. And I, I'm sure you can find it on, you have uh, NFL plus the, the NFL's new, uh, content sharing platform online. If you have that, you can get the, the all 22 film as well, as we like to say in the biz, but the number of receivers on that play throwing their hand up, like, Hey, throw me the ball. I'm open. I think was four. And it, that did not count. Kene Wongu, who was the guy after the game that Mon said, I should have thrown the ball to. So basically at one point or another, everybody was like, Hey, um, throw me the ball or, was open enough to merit that. And in the end, he ended up basically making a throw that wasn't going to be a completed pass anyway, because Tristan Jackson had already stepped out of bounds, even if he would have caught the ball, but it was over his head behind it. So that type of moment, it's if that had been it for him for the day, you would have thought, boy, we didn't really see anything that would have led us to think there's something here. He, he played a lot better in the second half and was a lot more assertive. Kevin O'Connell seemed happy with it, but you need to see that kind of continue to say, this is going somewhere. And with Sean Mannion, it was just more of Sean Mannion, right? Like he's a known entity. We didn't see a whole lot, you know, just the immobile kind of mostly accurate passes, but nothing dynamic. Mike, what did you think about what you saw, at least from Sunday's game about the backup quarterbacks? Yeah. I mean, I think Ben makes some good points. It's like, where, where do they stand even? It's like, you know, Mond has clearly got more upside than than Mannion does and you, you know both of them third round picks but at varying stages of their career like you said Mond is more of this known commodity at this point you know what you're going to get but he's you know Mannion's not the kind of guy that's going to come into a game it, let, let's say Kirk Cousins had a a minor but not a season-ending injury and that's kind of like your <clears throat> that should be kind of your your backup quarterback litmus test right like a backup quarterback is probably not going to be you know Case Keenum, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and save your season and go 13 and three. That's not usually what a backup quarterback is going to do. What you kind of hope for from a backup quarterback is if you have a chance to get your starter back, but you're going to need someone for three or four games, can that guy go out and win you or at least not lose you those games and kind of keep you afloat? And I don't know if, I don't think Sean Mannion is that guy. And I don't know that Kellen Mond is right now either. He certainly has the greater potential, I think, to win you a game, but also the greater potential to lose you a game. So I don't think they've learned 
enough yet about their backup quarterback question to know what they want to do, you know, but at the same time, I don't know what, you know, what else they can do or what else is out there because I, I mean, I guess you can wait for, for other teams to make cut downs, but it, it, I, I guess it kind of, it's probably more of a philosophical question than anything. How much do they value backup quarterback? Because in recent years, they obviously haven't really, since they've got Kirk cousins, they haven't really valued backup quarterback that much because he is so durable and because it would be such a drop off and because you're paying him enough that, that you probably can't invest that much more in the position. Yeah. And what are you going to get elsewhere is, is also a legitimate question when you're considering those things. And it's what Quasi Adolfo Mensa in the front office have to be thinking about at this point and monitoring cuts around the league potentially, because can you trust either of them to step in, uh, in a pinch? And we've already seen Mannion try to do that in a tough spot at Lambeau field last year. Um, let's talk about QB one. Cause we saw Kirk cousins come back from COVID. He tested positive last week, uh, misses the mandatory five days, comes back on the field for the first time Wednesday for the joint practices. And Ben, you and many other people heard him, uh, drop his famous catchphrase that he has trademarked from his days in Washington, but he had a little extra spice on it. He did. Uh, yes, he, he gave a, you like that. And I think he repeated that, um, with an explicit adverb to modify the verb like. Um, so starts with an F, rhymes with puck. It's a family show, so we won't say it, but uh, family show in the state of hockey, so you, you can figure it out. Um, everyone heard it because uh, it was it was fairly quiet in the crowd at that point, and the, the reaction was kind of a like a mix of excitement and just like, whoa, did I just hear that correctly? I mean, it was almost this like, did that just happen kind of response from, from people? Because everybody kind of knows that Kirk is not uh, one to use foul language very often. Um, so it was it was kind of a fun moment, I guess. But it was a, maybe a little bit of a window. And he talked about it yesterday. There's a little more juice for the joint practices. And you get a little more fired up when you're facing a team that was in the NFC title game last year, I suppose. And, and a coach that you have a lot of history with, Kyle Shanahan. Um yeah, it was it was an interesting moment. We, you know, the Twitter mentions for it have all been all over the place, but lots of people thinking, well, if we're getting this Kirk this year, look out, we're uh, we're going to the Super Bowl. And a lot of that is just people having fun with it. But it was it was an interesting window, I guess, into him getting fired up and kind of where that goes. But uh, it, it made for a probably a, a good laugh more than anything else. I, I don't know if there's a ton to read into it, but hey, maybe there is. Who knows? Kind of seemed like dad trying to be cool to me. It was like, you know, when you become a dad, you, you instantly like something just kind of happens and you know, your, your, your attention's divided all over the place and you can still be like, you can still have your moments, but you, you lose a little bit of touch with, with the kids these days. And I feel like Kirk was trying to gain a little cred with, with that felt a little, I don't know if it was premeditated or not, but to me it was, it was interesting. It's, it's enough out of character to make you wonder kind of, where exactly it came from but you know what if, if we're going to see you know sometimes you know sometimes the uh the fired up kirk the the mad kirk is is the yeah, good kirk. Go show zim and almost start a fight kirk yeah exactly i mean you know and we've he, seen it before he had like after the whole you like that game in washington he had basically like the best month of his career like there's there's some precedent for when kirk cousins is angry he plays a little bit better he plays with a certain edge maybe stops you know second guessing himself for making tight window throws and just lets it rip. Um, so you know, maybe there's something to it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, 
I'm not, I think it was more of a, a fun moment than a, than a teachable moment. We'll, we'll find out. You guys are right. We have seen hashtag mad Kirk um, because I, I think it was after their rough start in 2017, after they went two and two and he won NFC player of the month or whatever, offensive player of the month. And this was after he got just destroyed at Chicago and people were, you know, digs like literally left the building. Uh, it wouldn't show up to work. People were mad at him for missed throws. Fans were mad at him, all that kind of stuff. And then he went out and beat beat up on some really bad defenses that, that month of October, but ended up winning NFC. Play. So he's very streaky, and it seems yeah, to be yeah. he's he can get kind of locked in a little bit. I will say to that note, the 49ers were actually chippy throughout the entire time. The two days they were here, um, the first one-on-one uh, wide receiver defensive back reps on Wednesday of the first practice, uh, Adam Thielen gets really upset because it was a physical uh, coverage, might have been, you know, borderline potentially uh, defensive pass interference. And Adam turns around to the refs and yells, if you're going to be out here, throw the flag. And then on the ensuing few plays or 10 plays, whatever it was, 49ers defensive backs were flagged four times. The yellow was just flying everywhere. And I really don't think that was Adam getting what he wanted. I think it was just that's how the 49ers came into these practices because today was a little bit more of the same. Today, Adam Thielen had to be separated from some people um, after the the Niners were taking the Vikings running backs to the ground. There was one point Albert Wilson caught a pass downfield and kept running. And even though he'd run through some arm tackles, a safety just came over and just kind of basically leveled him, knocked him to the ground out of bounds. Uh, K.J. Osborne took the hardest hit I have seen in training camp, uh, at least this year, when he got just a forearm shiver on a slant. And Fred Warner, the 49ers linebacker, was quoted after practice today of saying, I told guys we had a great practice yesterday, but today we had to try to pick up the intensity even another step. And so there were certainly players on the Vikings who took umbrage to that and did not like the fact that the Niners were showing up looking to treat the Vikings as if they were the Rams and really their division rival. <laughs> Uh, with Kevin O'Connell, because Ben, we've seen a much different practice. We've seen a much lighter practice. We have not seen the kind of intensity that the 49ers brought uh, this week. Yeah. Yeah. I think Javon Kinlaw got in there today too. There was a, a dust up that there were a couple of times that looked like somebody might start throwing punches. And I, I think Kevin O'Connell at one point thought about trying to jump in there and separate things, but I probably figured it's, it's not worth trying to, get a bit between a bunch of linemen that are about ready to go, but you can try to, I mean, they, they talked about trying not to have any fighting. Um, there's always going to be some of that stuff. I think that come into these practices, but yeah, the 49ers certainly came in with a little more of an edge, um, especially today than we would have expected probably more than we've seen in these things. The last couple of times the Vikings have done them. It's probably not the worst thing in the world, I guess, to, to have a little bit of that when, the practices to this point have been fairly, um, I wouldn't say flat, but they, they have been intentionally, that's, uh, subdued is not the right word either. They, they have been, they've held some things back in terms of not wanting to push the intensity too far with players. We haven't seen a lot of chippy moments from players in camp. And, and I don't know that, that is going to make a huge difference in terms of whether a team wins or loses, but being ready to get into a game that gets a little bit physical and a little bit, you know, contemptuous is probably not a bad thing, especially when you open with your biggest rival. So um, probably not a horrible thing to have 
at least in a, in a contained setting, like a joint practice for a couple of days. The uh, Mike, I should mention first, the 49ers defensive coordinator also spoke after practice today and D'Amico Ryans was quoted as saying, because he was asked about the Vikings not being too happy at times. And D'Amico Ryan said, I think it's a different style from what their defense does. Going against our guys, we attack. We're an attack first mentality. So it's a different style. So he's basically just D'Amico like Ryan's interviewed for the Vikings head coaching job before backing out of the second interview. That's just yeah. worth it. Worthwhile context there. And D'Amico Ryan's, who has coached against a lot of the Vikings coaches when it was uh, before the Vikings became Rams East. Yeah. Well, I just I'm curious how this plays out in the preseason game now. Do the Vikings now, you know, bite back a little bit, and they have, you know, they they come in with a little bit of a, you know, because these teams are not done with each other. They play in an actual, you know, actual preseason game now. Is the second one is is this the all important preseason game now? It used to be the third one. Is the second one kind of the the dress rehearsal, or is there no real like importance given to weight given to one of these games more than the other now, or or is this one where we'll see a few more of the starters than we might otherwise? Yeah, I think some people view it that way. Um, the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan have come out and said, we're going to play Trey Lance in the first and third ones and just skip the second one. But then he also said yesterday that, eh, I might play him. I don't know yet. And that might more, have more to do with the fact that Trey Lance hasn't been really lights out in training camp and might need those reps. But O'Connell said today with, about the Vikings and about his plan for Saturday, he says, for the most part, I know who I'm going to play but then wouldn't get specific about who that is. But then later on, he was asked about these joint practices. And he basically said that these joint practices are uh, replacing what people used to get out of preseason reps. And that's why he feels that these joint practices are becoming more and more prevalent, that every team seems to be doing one every year. Um, And he says, um, reading through the quotes right now, says these joint practices give you the repetition and the volume you need to get guys those game reps without necessarily needing to be tackled to the ground at every snap, unless you're the 49ers defense, still happens occasionally out there, which we're trying to avoid. But I just think these now take the place of some of these preseason games. So my that guess sounds is... like a sales pitch. I mean, giving you the, the volume you need without the risk of getting tackled. I mean, it sounds like if somebody was trying to sell a product door to door, how they would do it. Need you cash know. fast? Try this joint practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, w- want to get some preseason work, quality preseason work without having to put your players at risk of getting hurt? We've just got, got just the thing for you. I mean, that is a little bit of what that sounds like. So maybe that tips his hand. So then that's, yeah. And if I'm going to put money on who's playing Saturday, I think the same guys who didn't play Sunday won't be playing Saturday either. Uh, no Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen. Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith. I just, why, Ben, why would you put him out there at this point? Well, I mean, if you felt like you wanted to get the first team offense a little bit of work together before you go out on September 11th, I suppose you could make that case. But it's like when you've practiced against this team the last two days on grass in a controlled setting, why then go out on turf when if there are, and you've got 48 hours for things to cool down, so I don't think it'd be a huge issue. But if there's anybody that is still fired up at somebody from the last couple of days and you're going out on a game with live tackling on turf, I don't, I don't know. That, that makes a ton of sense to go out and try to play guys through that. I mean, if anything, I suppose you could make the case that go out to Denver when it's on grass in a week and, and you can do that 
and play guys if you want to see them a little bit there too. But especially because you got two weeks before you see the Packers. So I, you can make the case that the, the Broncos game is actually a better way to do it. I mean, maybe you want to see guys in a game at, maybe you want to show the fans at home, um, all of that kind of stuff. You, you get a setting to work when it's quiet on offense, I guess. Um, and that's about the best I could do for it. But I don't, I don't think when it's on turf that it, and you've practiced against this team the last two days, I just, there's probably not a ton of benefit to go do it. Mike, what do you, what's, what's your opinion? And what do you think in general on the new thing for NFL teams being not playing these guys at all? And yet you're seeing it differently, right? Because you got the Kansas City Chiefs who are playing Patrick Mahomes in all these games, which is kind of surprising. But Andy Reid has basically just said, this is how we do it. We're going to go out there and, and get some live reps. Um, but teams like the Rams, and it would seemingly be the Vikings, are kind of taking a more reserved approach. And they're not alone. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of starters sit in all these games. I'm a little, I guess I'm a little bit surprised just because it's a brand new system. It's a brand new, you know, coach and you, you, you're opening week one with the Packers. So, you know, there's a certain amount of, I would like to see a little bit more of, you know, <clears throat> I wouldn't mind seeing the first team offense for a series or two, um, at least in, in one of these games, just to kind of see how they all function together, see how they play at actual game speed, you know, preseason is preseason, but I still feel like there's a difference between a joint practice or a training camp practice and actually like, you know, playing in front of, you know, thousands of fans, even if it's a preseason game, I just feel like if you under under prepares, maybe the wrong word, but if you don't kind of have those, you know, those real life reps, especially <clears throat> when you're talking about new systems, guys, <clears throat> you know, trying to play different roles, things like that. I just feel like there's some opportunities for a little bit of rustiness and a little bit of unfamiliarity. And when you, you know, when your first game, you know, all the games are big, obviously, but when your first game is a game against your division rival at home that, you know, win or lose this game kind of sets up the rest of your season to feel like you're either in good shape or you're chasing a game right away. Um, I guess, I guess I'm a little bit surprised that they don't do, I mean, I guess I, I would like to see them play the starters a little bit, maybe more than it sounds like they're going to play them. Yeah. And maybe they will start Kirk and company and, and try to, get a few series out of them against the Niners. We will see on Saturday night. Um, who is going to be part of that starting offensive line week one? That's call Mike McCoy and ask. That's that's a big question. Uh, not not Mike McCoy, but the offensive line. Seeing as no, how it's a deep cut. It's a throwback. Those who know know. Seeing as how Jesse Davis, the veteran former Miami Dolphins guard and tackle, was the starter in Sunday's game against the Raiders before he took a seat. Um, these joint practices have been all Ed Ingram. Ed Ingram was given every rep with the ones because Jesse Davis on Wednesday just kind of sat on the sideline and mixed in for a series with the backups. And then today was held out completely. Um, ben, you've done some reporting and talking to Jesse Davis. We've seen him on the sideline a lot this, this camp. Yeah. Um, what's going on with his knee injury? And then I guess, do you think that's still a factor at this point? Well, I think it's a factor in how they're using him in practices. I don't know that it's a factor in terms of what it's going to mean for the season. Cause I, I, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about it. He said, when I was with the dolphins, they did this where I, it sounds like this knee injury dates back even before last year. He, he got hurt week one, I think had to get an MRI week one, but it sounds like this was something they were managing 
in camp last year too, where they had kind of these days they would build in to just give him time off. So we are seeing some of that. And I think it's worth keeping that in context when we're talking about, you know, kind of the horse race, when we, we like to kind of handicap this thing in terms of who is going to be the starter. But I also have heard that they like Ed Ingram a lot. And obviously if you're going to take him in the second round at a spot where people thought, I'm not sure if this was the right spot to take him, that the, people thought it might've been a little too high. Obviously you saw enough in him that you are going to want him to play. And I think he, I thought he looked really good on Sunday in that preseason game. A lot of those runs they had in the second quarter uh, when Ty Chandler was going up the middle, Ed Ingram was opening a lot of fairly big holes. Jesse Davis early in that game takes a holding penalty, I believe. And so I, I think Ed Ingram did more for his stock on Sunday than Jesse Davis did. Now, does that tip it in the end? We'll have to see, but I wonder if in a perfect world you would want Ed Ingram to start and then you have a guy like Davis who's been a tackle, who is now playing guard, uh, can be versatile on either side of things. You could have him and Chris Reed as kind of these backup types that are are trustworthy that they haven't had. We've talked about this has probably become like the unofficial Joe Berger Appreciation Society, but we have talked a lot about Joe Berger over the years on this podcast and just the fact that you could put him in and say, we know we can trust this guy. He's not going to be an all pro, but he's not going to get beat. He's not going to make stupid mistakes. He's not going to take a lot of penalties like we saw with Ole Udo last year. I, I think having those veterans that can play a couple different spots and can do it respectably well. I mean, guys like Jeremiah Searles have done that. Mike Harris had done that at times here. Uh, those guys are important because you only keep eight or nine linemen on a team and those somebody's going to get hurt at some point or another, whether it's part, for part of a game or they're going to miss a game or two here or there. Uh, kept Rashad Hill around for a long time, kept Dakota Dozer around until he kind of got exposed. But um, I, I wonder if that is their hope, is that Ed Ingram starts and then you have these two guys in Reed and Davis who are are pros that can go in a couple different spots. And that's a valuable role in and of itself. Yeah. Just my two cents. I need to see them start a rookie week one against the Packers before I believe it. I just, yeah, we've There's seen that too. This is a new coaching staff, but you know, we've certainly covered enough iterations of coaching staffs. Um, even during Mike Zimmer's time as his assistants turned over to know that very few guys are just going to trust rookies right out of the gate. Uh, without getting some game experience um, or just kind of going through the week to week of how to game plan and how to prepare. Um, Kevin O'Connell was asked about Ed Ingram today and he praised him and saying that, you know, he's exactly where we want him to be. He continues to ascend. He's having a good camp. I think he's getting comfortable uh, as he's kind of understood the system and all that stuff. But then he says, um, I think he's getting more comfortable with the communication that takes place. It's a little faster. It's a little bit more assumed knowledge sometimes. And then he goes on to say, there's always these things with young players across the board where there's things to learn from. Can they take those things and not make the same mistake? Or even if it wasn't a mistake, can they just be a little bit better with the first step, a little bit more finish, a little bit more strain on the block, whatever it is. Can they take those things and show the improvement? So they're obviously looking for Ed to kind of continue his ascension, but he's certainly not arrived. And it doesn't seem like he's taken that job from a veteran and Jesse Davis. So it might be a question of when, because Ben, you, you brought up second round pick. They obviously take him because they want him to play. 
might be a question of when, not if, but I just don't know if that when is going to be right out of the gate week one uh, against Kenny Clark and, and a pretty good defensive front in Green Bay. So we'll have to see. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's been a front that's given them trouble, and I think it's going to be a better front this year. I mean, they, they made a lot of investments in that group in the front seven. I think both of their, their first-round picks went to um, players from Georgia. So, uh, yeah, it, it is a tough matchup right out of the gate. So, yeah, that, if Jesse Davis starts, it certainly could be part of the thinking. All right, well, what else are we looking for here in uh, Saturday's game? Um, in terms of other position battles, Cameron Dantzler and Andrew Booth were both flagged in Sunday's game against the Raiders. I believe four flags, four of their first half flags were for coverage infractions. And it's not like coverage isn't a big question mark with this defense right now. Uh, I know another one of them was Troy Dye, and I can't remember who the third, the third one would have been on, the fourth one. But well, Booth had two on the one play. That's true. That's true. You got a double whammy. Yeah. Um, so I guess to me, I'm looking to see how do they cover uh, guys when Cameron Dantzler is your expected starter. But as we pointed out, he played a lot in that game for an expected starter, played a lot against the Raiders. And you take Andrew Booth in the second round early in that second round because you want him to play sooner rather than later. But it just doesn't seem like that's going to be the case um, for him just because of that, that steep learning curve. So, Ben, what else are you looking for out of this game? Is it, is it Greg Joseph continuing his Hall of Fame bid? Um, I mean, that is certainly uh, worth watching to see if he keeps being uh, as automatic as he's been for much of camp. I am curious to see if they can run the ball as effectively as they did on Sunday. That was, I think, one of the big takeaways for me is, is how good that – running game looked and it's some of it's Ty Chandler and, and Kenny Wongwu hitting holes and, and doing what they did. But like we said, they, they did a really good job of opening holes in that Raiders defense. This is another, this is probably a little tougher test in terms of that front. Um, I, and we'll see how many starters play for the 49ers too, but it's worth watching to see how they do in that regard, because I do think they are going to be, not to Mike Zimmer levels, but probably not also to a lot of the West Coast you know, new coach levels in terms of how they run the ball. I think it'll be more than you might see from a lot of coaches in the Kevin O'Connell um, brethren, or the, at least what the stereotype is of that group. I think they'll run the ball more than that, probably not as much as, as Zimmer did. But I think that's going to be a fairly significant part of their offense. The fact that C.J. Ham is here, the fact that they start the game on Sunday with an eye formation, you can see those things are still in their playbook. So I want to see that. I'm also, I think, curious to see uh, Lewis seen. Uh, he played, certainly played Sunday, but we didn't notice him a lot just because he didn't get thrown out a lot. I'm curious if he gets tested at all. Does he make mistakes in those situations? Does he show that he can do the job? Uh, another, certainly another guy that they want to play. They are not going to take him where they did and incur a few raised eyebrows for that pick if they don't believe in it. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how he does too. And, and uh, like I said, that running game, seeing if that continues to, to look as, as good as it did uh, for those, uh, those backup running backs on Sunday. Yeah, Mike, what are you looking for? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to I think three guys we've already touched on, and Ben just touched on Lewis Seen, and obviously Booth and Ingram. I mean, those are you know first round pick, second round pick, second round pick, and those are you know those are you know those are the ones you have to hit on. And if you know, if we kind of think back regime wise, those are the ones that the GM wants to see succeed. Um, they they you know, they have an investment in these guys now. Um, they have an investment in everybody on the roster. Obviously, this is a you know this is how the roster is is built. You know, most of the people who are on this team right now predate Kevin O'Connell and, and Quase Dofomensa, but you know they don't have the same investment in you know at least the the scouting investment and the you know the personal investment of being right in someone like Cam Bynum that they do in Lewis Seen or Cameron Dantzler as they do in in Booth or you know whoever else on the offensive line Wyatt Davis who apparently made an appearance with the twos the other day out of nowhere it sounded like did he not or was that uh, was that did i miss something well that's that's just because they don't have any guards right now so yes. chris chris reed is supposed to be a backup <laughs> center guard he's dealing with a, a right elbow injury that kevin o'connell talked about today it's kept him out for a week and then they basically sidelined jesse davis so those are two of your veteran guard options and so that's kind of forced uh, wyatt davis up the depth chart a little bit I was just happy for White Davis, but anyway, it's uh, it, it, you know these you know how how much these guys kind of I don't know, tipping their hand is the right way to say it, but how much they are um, they are invested in having these guys succeed and how soon they want to see that and, and you know again I think to Andrew's point it's a good one you know putting a rookie in week one against your biggest rival might be a tall task, but if they believe in these guys and think they're the honest best players then maybe you'll see that and you'll kind of, you know, you'll see how good they are right away. So I'm, I'm seeing more of the progression from those three guys, you know, and, and maybe even Chandler a little bit too, that th- those are the interesting ones to me. I want to see if they have a punt returner. I know it's yeah. not the sexiest thing to talk about, but Amir Smith-Marset has not, and Matt Daniels, the special teams coordinator spoke today and said, he's seeing Amir become more confident. I don't think confidence is Amir's issue. I no, think it's, typically I think it's, not. I think it's securing the football and running with it. And and right now we saw him drop a punt in Las Vegas. Uh, one of his only two chances. We are not seeing a whole lot of consistency from him in practices either, but it seems like they want him to win that job and become the latest guy to try to succeed Marcus Sherrill's who last played for this team almost I think three plus years ago. Um, KJ Osborne, I would assume is their backup option, but Right now on special teams, your biggest question mark is who is going to be fielding those punts. And so far, it seems like they want it to be Amir Smith-Marset. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, he's gotten every chance to go take that job, but he needs to probably do something more to make you feel good about it, especially when, like you said, that spot has been a problem really since Marcus Sherrill's was – you know, let go finally after holding that job down for quite a long time. So they, and they drafted guys with return experience. They drafted guys with speed to do it, but it doesn't seem like anybody has really taken it and uh, made you feel like it's their job. So yeah, certainly uh, worth keeping an eye on because it's, it's not something you spend a ton of time with, but it can change a game for good or bad in uh, a pretty opportune moment at times. 
Yeah, we know they have dynamic kick returners, um, but it's been a while since they've had a game changer at punt returner. And we do remember that one time when they put Adam Thielen back there in, in it was against Dallas in 2016. Didn't work out so well. Yes, it was the game that Mike Zimmer missed after ice surgery on a Thursday night. Head coach Mike Prefer. Yeah, that's right. The special teams coach coach was the head coach when the special teams cost them that game on Thursday night. Yeah. Um, so it can come back to haunt you if, if you're not right. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap up, we got to get to um, the hometown kid. We should talk about the 49ers being here. The hometown kid, Trey Lance, coming into town. And Ben, was it how many was it, 115 players, coaches and everything from Marshall, his high yeah. school, coming up here today to watch him? Uh, obviously the NDSU product, he might end up playing Saturday, but it seems like it's been a pretty up and down camp for him. Our guy, yep. Mark Craig tracked his, uh, completions and attempts on Wednesday before writing about him. Um, and he didn't do so hot, seemed to sail some balls deep, uh, really looked inconsistent. He's a young kid. He's only 22 years old. He sat pretty much all of last year. He made a couple starts, but didn't do much behind Jimmy Garoppolo but the 49ers are empowering him to be the guy. And in this system, you would think it's a no brainer. He's going to be great. Right. But uh, Ben, we did see, I guess, some of the ups and downs in these two joint practices with him. Yeah, we have. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does if they put him in there uh, when he hasn't been that sharp yet. It, uh, it probably behooves them to get them as much experience as they can, especially when they've been fairly, public about, yeah, we're planning to not have Jimmy Garoppolo around. I mean, they, yeah. they basically come out and said that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see kind of what he looks like if he does get out there. But, yeah, pretty big Marshall contingent here today. It looks like they must have bust the entire football team up here. Uh, probably, I suppose, the fourth day of practice, high school sports started on Monday. And, uh, yeah, they were getting a, a pep talk from Ben Lieber and Chad Greenway. Uh, the early part of practice, and then they kind of stayed around to watch Trey Lance. I don't, I suppose none of those guys would have played with Trey Lance at this point, but uh, certainly I'm sure there's still plenty of talk among those coaches down there about this guy was the top five pick in the NFL draft. And um, there's probably some things to learn from him. And, and if it helps you say, Hey, listen to me, because this guy got to where he was and I had something to do with that. It, it, they, I'm sure they don't mind attaching that to uh, what they're doing as well. He's one of us, Mike. He's one of us. He is one of us. I actually had him on the podcast a few months ago, although the premise was something about cryptocurrency and a lot of the questions were about cryptocurrency. So you can take that for whatever it's worth. He did not want to talk at that point about whether he was going to be the starter, but it was pretty obvious at that point that he was going to be the starter at some point. And yeah, they got a lot riding on it, and it's he's uh there's I think there's a learning curve there that we'll we'll find out about in in, in these uh in these games. I mean, obviously the Marshall connection, North Dakota State, everybody here probably rooting for him to a certain degree, but uh, yeah, we'll see uh, we'll see if his uh, if his uh, value um, falls uh, just as fast as cryptocurrency does. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing a story on fullbacks because you know it's on brand and. Uh, I was talking to Kyle Juszczyk, uh, the all perennial pro bowler for the 49ers. And speaking of the Niners offense, Juszczyk did mention um, 
he goes, yeah, I watched a lot of film. I, I've tried to watch a lot of CJ Ham and other fullbacks around the league and just see what other teams are doing with them. Nobody uses their fullback like the 49ers do, just in terms of all the different roles that he has on that team. But Yuzchek uh, said, yeah, the, the past Vikings offenses here kind of remind me of what I did my first year in Baltimore. Uh, he goes, but Kyle Shanahan just takes it to another level. It's a lot more. Com-. He says this. He goes, it's a lot more complicated. There's a lot more game planning. There's a lot more thinking. And he basically just, in my opinion, torched what the Vikings had been doing and saying that <laughs> what, we, what we do requires a lot. It's just a lot more in, on your plate mentally uh, and uh, then therefore offers defenses a lot more to worry about when they have to game plan and play against it. And talking to, for a separate story, talking to Justin Jefferson, um, he's kind of saying the same thing about Kevin O'Connell's offense. Like this is more of a graduate study uh, in what we're doing here on offense. So Trey Lance is going through it. The Vikings offense is going through it uh, and, and trying to kind of catch up and, and learn some of these modern graduate study, as they say, NFL offenses. Um, but I just thought it was funny. Use check unintentionally just torched what the Vikings were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we like Clint Kubiak. We like the Kubiaks, but uh, Justin Jefferson ran one jet sweep his entire two years <laughs> with the Vikings. That's not great. He's been doing it every day. Uh, fly sweeps, motion sweeps, pre-snap motions, all this kind of stuff that we have just not seen from the Vikings. It's going to be a new dawn, a new day. We're not going to see much of it on Saturday against the 49ers, but uh, September 11th against Green Bay, it'll certainly look different. So with that, we will check in with you guys next week after the Vikings play the 49ers and as they get ready to prepare for their preseason finale against the Denver Broncos. Yeah, do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less.